I'm going to go to the book of Psalms, and I will read maybe four or five scriptures. I I won't read all of the text. I'm not sure just how far I want to go with this, but Psalms 139 is a very powerful, powerful chapter. deals with God's relationship with man. And if you've ever doubted God's feelings toward you, you need to mark it down and read this chapter on a daily basis. If you will hide this scripture in your heart, the scripture will convince you. Bobby sings a song that uh, has been very, uh, very dear to me. But there's a part of it that goes like this. There's no place I can go that he doesn't know all the things that worry me. So you see, you can't go anywhere without God knowing exactly where you are. And so I would like to, I would like to share a few verses here and now and maybe go into it just a little more. Uh, as I was studying what I'd felt God had laid on my heart for this service and for this church, I, God brought this chapter to my mind. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but in, O Lord, thou, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Father, would you direct our hearts and minds? I pray that we can link together spiritually with one another and with you and your word. And that you can take us on a little spiritual journey today that would inspire our hearts and awaken within us the call that you've placed on everyone. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May be seated. The Word of God is very powerful in Psalms 139. Expresses God's very intimate knowledge of us and His relationship with us. God cares about every one of us. Anyone that would uh, advocate for abortions needs to memorize this chapter. Uh, you know, they, they like to treat that child that was conceived as though it is nothing until it has progressed in growth so that it would 
be able to live once it has been birthed. And uh, I, of course, have disagreements with their uh, attitude and their feeling. I'm not going to preach on this today, uh, but I was in a seminar a few months ago, and I heard a statement that really, really grabbed my heart. The statement was, the right to become. And it was dealing partially with conception. And when that child is conceived, in the eyes of God, that child, that child has the right to become. Become what? Well, God's given us all the right of choice. We make decisions. Many times a day, not just daily, but many times a day we make decisions regarding our lives, our character, our relationships, and uh, just many decisions are made because God has given every one of us the right of choice. But it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter to God, and it matters in the sense of eternity. It matters in that we care, but in the sense that that child has the right to make decisions, even as a small thing. It makes decisions. They're not always what the parent would wish for, but they make decisions. And yet, though we may not agree with the decisions that that child makes, and as it becomes an adult, we don't agree with those decisions, but God has given it that right. But it's also given that, that child the right to become something wonderful and great and leave something lasting behind. And so every one of us, when we are conceived, have the right to become, unfortunately, Millions of them are aborted before they ever have that chance or are ever really given that right, the right that God gave that child, that unborn baby. But moving on into uh, our realm and our sphere now, God has given us all the right to become something very wonderful and good. And I thought of, of this chapter, I, it would be easy to go to uh, every verse here, but there's some of them that I think are very important. He said, For there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. In other words, God is very intimately involved in our lives and what we're doing, where we go, what we become, and so forth. God is very interested. And then he goes on to say that, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Simply reminding us that there's not a place we can go in this universe, that God is not there. He is there. 
He just doesn't always reveal himself, but he is there. He said, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, darkness shall cover me. He isn't talking about nighttime. He isn't talking about the sun setting and the darkness of night settling in upon us. But he is talking about those dark moments in life when our hearts have been cut to the very core, when something has transpired in our lives that has seemed to nearly tear our heart out of our bodies, those moments when you would say to others, you just don't understand. And the truth of the matter is, unless someone has been there, they really can't understand. I remember, even though it's been many years ago now, that we lost our son. And during that time, people would come by and offer us condolences and try to offer us comfort. And uh, I, I remember people that would come by and, you know, we lost our son. And they would say, uh, we know what you're feeling. My great aunt's son-in-law died a few months ago, and so we understand what you're feeling. No, they don't understand what I'm feeling because your great aunt's son-in-law has no relationship to what that son has in your life. What I'm saying is that even with the best of our intentions, there are times that we really don't understand what a person's going through. And so sometimes people feel like they're all alone out there. Nobody understands. And yet the Bible said that God, Knows you cannot go to a dark place. You say, I'm all alone there. I beg to differ with you. You may feel alone, but it's only because you are not willing to open your heart and allow God's presence to move in to touch your life because God does know. And you can't go to a dark spot in life. You can't lose enough in life. But what God understands everything that you're feeling and you're knowing and not only understands, but He is there. It's like the story, and I know you've heard it probably many times, of the man that was walking across the sands. And uh, all the way across, it was a tough time, but there were two sets of footprints And he knew that one set belonged to God. And then when he came to the hardest part of the trail, all of a sudden those other footsteps disappeared. And he couldn't see the prince anymore. And he kind of chided God and said, God, where were you when I got to the toughest part of this journey? God simply said, you only saw one set of footprints because that's where I was carrying you. You see, God is always there to carry us. No matter what the need or how great the problem, God is always there. Some people feel like they don't amount to much. They're not worth much. And 
I, I pray often. I've probably mentioned a little bit of this in times past here because it's so much a part of my heart. But we, we have given our hearts to ministering to our neighborhood. And the neighborhood houses multitudes of families that are probably anywhere from second or third to seventh or eighth generation of failure, hopelessness. They're tied into a system that seems to bind people with helplessness and hopelessness. And they have a hard time getting out of it. And I have, I have prayed, God, would you give our church the ability to put hope back in their hearts? Would you help us to touch them and impact their lives and give them something to hope for? I was very, uh, very thrilled several weeks ago. We were home, and on a Sunday night, our children's minister came up to me and said, uh, Brother Shoemaker, I want to tell you something very exciting. Our young people are all involved in what we call the Blue Bomber ministry. That wouldn't mean a lot to a lot of folks, but that's our bus ministry. And the, it's, it's run mostly by young people, some young adults involved. But it, it's become so great that our, our young people can hardly wait to become 12 so that they can become a part of the Blue Bomber crew. And they're out on the streets every Saturday in our neighborhood with their basketballs, footballs, soccer balls, tennis, rackets, whatever that speaks of sports. And they're wandering through the neighborhood uh, looking for groups of young people. And when they see them, they go up and just kind of move into the group and start talking. And, and uh, they have, the young people have been a tremendous blessing to our our church in this outreach effort because it has given them a burden that they probably would never have had without that kind of uh, ministry. And the youth, or not the youth pastor, the children's pastor uh, came up to me and said, Brother Shoemate, did you know, and he called a young boy by name, that he uh, came up to me the other day and, and he said, uh, Brother James, what do I have to do to become a part of the Blue Bomber crew? Now, this was a boy that had been riding the bus for probably a couple of years, and he's just now turned 12. And he said, uh, Brother James, what do I have to do to become a part of the Blue Bomber crew? Here's a rider wanting to become a part of the, the outreach team. And he said, well, I know you've been filled with the Holy Ghost because he had received the Holy Ghost from one of the children's services. And uh, he said, have you been baptized in Jesus' name yet? The old boy looked at him and said, no. He said, well, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and gave him a brief Bible study. And this happened Sunday morning. And he said, bring us a note back from your parents. Come back tonight and we'll baptize you. And, and you can become a part of the Blue Bomber crew and the young man came back Sunday night. He didn't bring a note, but he brought his parents. And uh, he was baptized, and I, I went over and congratulated him. I was just thrilled. I was thrilled because it's been a tough battle, but we're making inroads. We're finally getting to the hearts of people to make them understand that just because you have 
been involved in disastrous situations in life and you have landed in a hopeless situation, that doesn't mean that you are bound there for life because there is a way out. And that way is through the cross. There is a way out. God does not intend that people live their lives in a hopeless situation because Christ came that we might have life and that more abundantly. Would you lift your hands and magnify the Lord? I, I would find it very hard, very easy to get bogged down here with some of these uh, thoughts that mean so much to me. But I want to move on uh, because I feel like God has touched my heart for you today, and I trust that I can, I can share this in the way that God's given it to me. Because I want to bless this church. I, I really do. I, it isn't that I feel like I have some great ability to bless people. But I want to bless this church today. Because I believe that God has his hand on you. And I believe that God has a plan for your lives. And I believe that God has something for you that involves a building bigger than this auditorium you're in right now. And I realize that some of you are probably weary with the remodeling and you've had to go through it twice and plus all of the efforts to build it in the first place. But this church building does not represent the fullness of God's blessings for this church in this part of town. God has something in mind for you that goes probably beyond what your ability to even imagine. For the Bible said, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about right here and now. He's talking about releasing to men and women and young people like you power, anointing, inspiration, thoughts, ideas that would change the lives of men and women. Would you lift your hands and say, God, whatever you have for me, I want you to give it. Glory to God. Would you touch our hearts, God? I pray that you would help us to be receptive to your spirit, allowing you to guide us and direct us. Glory to God. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God isn't through with Houston. Houston was one of the main places where the Holy Ghost was poured out after the outpouring at Topeka, Kansas. Houston does not get the publicity that Azusa Street in Los Angeles got. 
or even some other areas. But Houston was a very vital part of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There were a lot of things that originated in Houston during that time as people were once again given hope that they could have that contact with God, that God's Spirit could indwell their bodies, and they could evidence it with speaking in other tongues. And Houston was very vital to that. And through the years, there have been some great churches in this area. And God has done some great things in spite of the best efforts of the enemy to try to throttle it down, try to bind it. I believe that God is ready even now to touch churches with revival and say, I'm going to awaken something in your heart and I'm going to stir something that will stir your communities. I believe with all of my heart that's what God wants. God's not looking for a group of people who are satisfied with a status quo and are satisfied to come to church a couple of three times a week and worship a while, have good fellowship and go home. But God's looking for a people that's ready to revolutionize a community. God's looking for folks that will open their hearts and say, okay, God, Whatever you want to do for us, I open myself to your will and to your purpose. God wants to do something. When I say this, it is not in a matter of judgment. It isn't with condemnation to say that you're not doing what you need to do. It is from the depths of my heart saying that I hath not seen. Ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. There is anointing greater than you've ever imagined. Maybe you've seen snatches of it here and there, but there is great anointing that is available for the church today. The Bible said when the enemy would come in like a flood, the Lord would raise up a standard against him. Let the city council pass all of the ordinances they want to that defy the word of Almighty God. Make it seem like the whole political world has risen up in opposition to the apostolic church. But let me tell you, those are the moments when God is going to reveal himself to the church. We're going to see things that many of us may never have seen. Glory to God. God's not through with his church. God isn't through with his church, not by a long shot. There's an apostolic church. In fact, probably more than one, many of them in this community. They're apostolic churches just waiting, just waiting for an awakening. Because I believe with all of my heart that God's going to give some of the greatest revivals that the apostolic movement's ever seen. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. That's one of the reasons. Not because I have the ability to do anything more than anyone else. That's one of the reasons that I can't 
I can't be satisfied to take retirement and go out on a golf course or go fishing or hunting or just sightseeing. And I enjoy all of those things. But in my heart, there's something that is beating hard. The apostolic church is greater than it's ever imagined if it would just awaken to the Spirit of Almighty God. God does not want us to be nothings. There are no throwaway children in God's kingdom. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, the first three verses, you've probably read it many times. Maybe you've heard it preached on. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and thou shalt be a blessing. I want you to remember that phrase, thou shalt be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. And he goes on to say that I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him. That curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In thee. Notice, you know, we, we've just kind of casually looked at this at times, and we have considered that, uh, that Israel was just a special nation. God just chose Israel and worked with them because the rest of the world had rejected him. That is partially true, but only partially, because God blessed Israel, not just to bless Israel, but God cared about the whole world. God cared about the whole world, and God promised blessings to the seed of Abraham so that the seed of Abraham might turn around and use the blessings of God to touch the rest of society in their day. It was not God's will that any should perish. God was not just calling Israel out because they were special, but God was calling them out because maybe dealing with one group of people, He could work through them and they would impact the rest of the world. This is a Bible study that could not be completed in one lesson or even in several. But bear in mind that God blesses in order that we might bless. All of the families of the earth need to be blessed through the family of God. I wish we could get that in our hearts. The devil would like to cause us to pull into a shell and hide in our caves and just kind of become a people unto ourselves. 
and we just kind of withdraw from society. I couldn't tell you how many times, especially in the South or even on the West Coast in areas where there are a number of uh, Pentecostal churches. I'll go into, for instance, Walmart, and I will see people, especially ladies, that are obviously apostolic. And as I see them coming my way, I am ready to smile and greet them as a fellow saint. And the closer they get, the more down they look. Can never make eye contact. I'm not talking about an isolated incident, but I'm talking about something that happens again and again because they feel isolated. It is though they're marginalized by the world, and certainly the devil would want them to feel marginalized because this is the greatest message in all of the world, and he does not want this message to be presented. We are not the off-scouring of the earth. We are God's children. I don't know how much I believe it or how much you believe it. I know I believe it, but I don't know if there's limits to my confidence in that. But the truth of the matter is that we are God's children, and we have no reason to go through life with our heads down, not wanting to meet strangers, not wanting to share the gift of the grace of God with others. That, that isn't God's will or God's plan. God very distinctly promised Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And out of thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God had a plan for the world way back in Abram's day. Even before that, when he promised after the fall of Adam and Eve that God was going to raise up a son of man that would bruise the head of the serpent. And throughout all of this, Jesus Christ was woven into the plan of God but God's plan did not change. It was not as though God had multitudes of plans. God had one plan in the beginning that he was going to have a people, that he was going to bless his people, and that the people of God would bless the families of the earth. We have to care. We cannot afford the spirit of Jonah to get on us. Because when God called Jonah and said, I want you to go preach to Nineveh, Jonah didn't want to go and probably did not want to go because, number one, he probably felt a little exclusive. I'm a part of the family of God. We're better than the rest of the world. Number two was probably the fact that Nineveh was a very hostile, violent, uneducated bunch of people. They 
they reveled in, in violence and mayhem and so forth. And they had been an enemy of Jonah's people. And Jonah knew when God said, I want you to go down there and tell them I'm about to destroy them. Jonah knew that when they heard that message of destruction, that they were going to change their minds and they were going to repent. And that he knew God enough to know that God would probably extend mercy to them. And he said, I'm not going because I don't want our enemy to be blessed. And so, you know, he tried to escape that call. God forced him to go. He finally became willing when he had been in the fish's belly long enough to despise that, okay, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh and I'll preach. But Jonah didn't go willingly. Even when he went there and preached, all he did was tell him, you're just about to be destroyed, and I'm going to sit down over here and wait. Till I see that day. Jonah didn't have a concern for Nineveh. And yet God is showing, even back in Old Testament times, how much he cares for those who seem to be beyond hope, seem to be beyond help, and they seem to have nothing to contribute to humanity or to the church. But God cared about Nineveh. And he wanted them to change their ways. It wasn't just Israel that needed to change their ways, but there were other places and peoples in the world that needed to change their ways. And so God wanted someone to preach to them. Jonah was unwilling. Jonah is probably typical of a lot of, of God's people in the world today. And in times past, they, they just don't have that care and that concern for those who are lost. And yet God has blessed us. He has blessed us. God blessed Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy man. And Abraham was blessed because he believed God. He was willing to leave his homeland, his countrymen, his family, and be obedient to the call of God and journey out and let God begin that new nation with him. And you are very familiar with Abraham, I'm sure, and his story. I won't spend a lot of time there, although he certainly deserves uh, a lot of time. But God blessed the nation. And when they wound up in Egypt after Joseph's faithfulness. I want to show you real quick. Let me, let me just quickly go through uh, Joseph's story. And again, you've probably read it many times, but Joseph had a dream. He was the youngest of his family. He had a dream. His brothers were already jealous of him and upset with him. And he had, in fact, he had two dreams. And in both of those dreams, it indicated that Joseph was going to be head over all the family. Everyone in the family, even mom and dad, were going to be bowing to him. And that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back as far as his brothers were concerned. They hated him. And they found opportunity to, uh, to exact revenge from Joseph and sold him into slavery. Now, Joseph, had he had the attitude a lot of folks had, would have given up at that point, and he would have said, well, God... I, I don't know what's happening, but obviously you're not in this because here you've, you told me in dreams that I was, 
I was going to be the head of my family. They'd all be bowing to me. And here I am sold into slavery. Potiphar bought him. And Joseph no more had landed in Potiphar's home until the blessings of God hit there. And everything looked great until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He resisted her attempts. And he found himself in prison again because she lied on him, accused him of uh, sexual assault. And, and he wound up disgraced and in prison again. He did not let that destroy his attitude or his spirit. You see, sometimes God blesses us in ways that don't seem obvious when, you know, Joseph was in prison, but God was positioning him to become the right-hand man to Pharaoh. Sometimes we become weary in well-doing because we don't understand God's thinking, God's positioning us, and we think God's forgotten us. God's getting us in a place where he can really bless us, and we think that God has neglected us and given up on us. But Joseph stayed faithful to God, and the blessings of God came through, saved his family, and saved Egypt from starvation and many other lands as well. And after 400 years of being there in Egypt, Joseph's brethren, long after Joseph was dead, became slaves and then things got worse and they cried unto the Lord. The Lord delivered them from Egyptian slavery. It was the hand of God. God put in the hands of the Israelites all of the back wages that they had not received. They had worked as slaves God counted them as workmen. And so they left, they left Egypt with wealth. They were not impoverished people. They couldn't get the slave mentality out. But they left because God blessed them. And God intended to set them up and make a great nation of them so that they could become a blessing to the rest of the world. And you know the story. They resisted God on every hand. They never accepted the fact that God wanted to use them. And again, there are so many areas that need to be covered there. But God, God blessed Israel. I want to fast forward now. There are a lot of things that I would like to cover, but I want to fast forward now. And I want to focus more on you. When Jesus had come by where John the Baptist was baptizing, John had just told the congregation that there's one coming after me whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then Jesus showed up and uh, John baptized him. The Holy Ghost came upon him. Later in the book of Luke, in the fourth chapter, it says that Jesus came full of the Holy Ghost. Now, prior to him showing up in Nazareth to read from Isaiah, he had gone through the wilderness, uh, 40 days of trial, fasting, temptation, and he'd come through it victorious. If you remember right, the Bible said he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. 
And he came through it victorious. When he comes to Nazareth now, full of the Holy Ghost, he stands up to read and they give him the book of Isaiah. And he begins to read and he declares that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I apologize for taking a few moments to find it here. I thought I had it on my iPad, and it's probably there just lost somewhere. Luke 4 and 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And these verses declare what God's going to do for people, just as he had, as had shown with Nineveh, God is willing to reach down to those who have nothing to offer him but themselves. And so God promised that there would be deliverance, that there would be healing, that people would be set free, that their hearts would be healed, and so forth. And then he said to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is a part that is not preached very often. But that acceptable year of the Lord, according to most commentaries, is or the year that the Lord accepted, or the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is not something that is preached often in our churches, but Jubilee was something instituted by God. Every 50th year, God set up a system whereby people could recover their ancestral lands. If they were in slavery, they would be set free. If they owed money, they would be forgiven. In other words, God restored to them the things that they had lost through foolishness, through accidents, whatever it was, they had lost it. And God offered them an opportunity for freedom. The interesting thing was, as I began to study this a little more, when I began to read about the year of Jubilee, this also begins on the Day of Atonement. Atonement is attached to Jubilee. There is redemption, and then there is restoration. Everybody said redemption. Most of us here have been blessed with redemption. God has redeemed us, but not all of us have understood the full impact of restoration. There are some of us that have been blessed of God, but I don't think many of us have been blessed of God as fully as God intends to bless the church. In just a matter of a few moments, I would like you to understand how powerful God's promises of restoration are to you and let God implant it in your heart 
so that God can revolutionize your thinking and you can understand that you have far more to give to the kingdom of God than you realize. It is hard to imagine what man was when God originally created him. And I don't know if we will ever reach that state again until we reach eternity. But there can be a restoration to fullness of life, to a fullness of that man that God intended us to be, or that lady, with the abilities that we need God has promised to bless His church, not just save His church. The only blessings from God, and I'm not preaching uh, the message that you hear so often of of, uh, being blessed financially. I'm not preaching that, although that can come as well. But I'm preaching that God wants to bless the church with a restoration of skills and abilities. God had trouble with Israel because he could never get slavery out of their, out of their minds. Even though they were out of slavery, God couldn't get the slavery out of them. They always responded to life from the standpoint of slavery. It didn't do them any good. But God wants us to be free today from the past. It doesn't matter if you were abused by a parent to the point that it has has handicapped your life even today. That's not God's will. If God saved you, God wants to get you out of those hurts. It doesn't matter how badly you were hurt. God wants to awaken within you the powers, the strengths, the abilities, the talents that he planned originally. And I hope that you will open your heart today and let God speak to your heart. Because again, I'm telling you, this is not the end of God's vision for this church in this community. God sees a church thriving and growing. God sees a church that's seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost in every service. God sees a church that's rescuing those who are bound by the powers of sin and iniquity. When Jesus was ministering in the book of Matthew chapter 6, he was talking about their priorities in life and encouraging them to put him first. He said, you need to rely on me and not your own abilities. He said, consider the lilies of the field. And I want you to mark that down. Consider the lilies of the field. And he said, Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these lilies. And Solomon's kingdom was one full of glory. It was said by some writers that Israel was so prosperous during the reign of Solomon that silver was in the streets as stones. In other words, there was so much silver that it didn't amount to much in their minds. The queen of Sheba came 
because she had heard about the grandeur of that kingdom. And the Bible said when she heard his wisdom, when she saw the countenance of his servants, when she saw the spread of his tables, and she saw the magnitude of wealth that had been brought to the kingdom, that she said the half has not yet been told me. And yet Jesus said, and he should know, that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like this little lily. He said, consider the lilies of the field if you're worried about your future and what I think about you. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. And yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look toward the palace of Solomon and you see that shiny golden door and maybe more than one. It's been built by skilled hands, by men who knew how to work metals and gold especially. And the door was built and it was polished. And it was polished maybe more than once a day so that when the sun got to the right place it could shine upon that door and the reflection was magnificent. And when you looked at it, you looked at it and you thought, this is a work of perfect art. And yet, if you were to take that door and put it under magnification, as skilled as the hands of men were, magnification would show to you scratches and imperfections in that door that you couldn't readily see with a naked eye because, you see, they were built by the hands of men and not by the hand of God. As much as they tried to bring perfection into the building of that door, they couldn't reach it, only, only to the satisfaction of the human eye. But magnify it, and the flaws are there. Science in the last few years have discovered some things that are really beyond my, my understanding. You know, I can understand them on the surface, but I can't really understand them to the fullest. But you could take that same lily now, and you can look at it in all of its God-given beauty. And you could take that lily and put it under the magnifying glass. And what you would see is a small part of that lily that has been enlarged. And you would see a replication of that flower again and again and again. All perfectly in order. And if you turned up the magnification so that you magnified it again, you would look at that and you would take small parts of it and magnify it and you would see the same thing again, a replication of the design that God set in that lily and every one, every little fractal of that is just as perfect as that leaf looked to you in the beginning. What You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you that when God takes a hold of something, 
You see, when man tries to build it, there's always going to be that imperfection. But when we put ourselves in the hands of God and allow God to take our lives, we're always worried about the mistakes we're going to make. You know why we worry about them? Because we're not willing to relax ourselves in the presence of Almighty God. But I'm telling you today, God wants to bless you so that you can bless the world around you. I I just... I, I don't know how you normally end your Sunday services, and I know that I've probably gone a little bit over time, and I don't want to bore you. I don't want to at all, but I do want to challenge you today because I believe that God wants to do something for this church. This is not for my sake. This is not just for Brother Hugh's sake, but this is for your sake. If God, if God can design a lily to perfection. How much could God do with our lives if we would just yield ourselves to His Spirit today? I wonder if there's anyone in this congregation that says, I want God to be able to do everything with me that He wants to do. I wonder if there's anyone here that's tired of just going along, even though there's a lot of enjoyment in what's happening, but you're just tired of just going along and you want to take that next step. Is there anybody here, young or old, that's willing to say, I want to open my heart and let God do what He wants to do. I'm willing to yield myself to God's perfect hands. Consider the lilies of the field and then seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Trust Him. Is there anybody that's willing to step forward right now and offer your heart to God and say, God, I give you my talents. I give you my abilities. I give you my heart.